Philippians. Flip to flip Philippians. Flip over to Philippians. All right. So as you're turning there, uh, just by way of a quick review, um, we finished up talking about discipleship and the heartbeat of what we've been looking at on Wednesday nights is one thing is needful and kind of building from our heart and out. Now we're looking at how do we put these things into action? How do we work? How do we take the things that God has laid on our heart, the, the things that he has used to change our lives and actually take them and, and use them? And what we're going to be looking at tonight is serving within the local church. And I'll be honest, that was one, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, to go somewhere in the Bible and get a prescription on serving in the local church, there's a couple different areas um, that I could have gone with it, but God was really hitting the heart aspect of it. And I think that's really been every message of this series on Wednesday nights has dealt with the heart. Um, so on your study sheet, serving within the local church, there were three things, and we're going to look at where they came from in Philippians and then also in Galatians, that I really think build off each other to being a successful servant within the local church. It's esteeming others better than yourself. It's taking on the form of a servant. And then especially unto the household of God. Those are three aspects, and they all are required to be a servant within the local church. I remember when I first got involved with First Baptist Church of Jackson, and I wanted to do something within the church. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to serve. I just didn't know what. And God opened up that door. God had people come into my life and ask me, hey, can you do this? Or I'd see a gap, and I would go and do this. It wasn't very difficult to find a place to serve within the local church. There's always areas you ask our children's ministry, if you ask Pat Winnicka, you ask Stephen, I'm sure there's, there's gaps everywhere. The lack in service within the church is not opportunity, it's servants. There's always opportunity. So I don't think we need a pamphlet or a manual telling us how to serve within the local church. It's how to be in the position to be ready to serve within the local church. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, so the title of the message is The Mind of Christ. So in Philippians 2 Key verse being the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ. And we know Paul wrote Philippians, but start in verse 1. We're going to start off with esteeming others better than yourself. So verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. It's critical. Be of one mind, of one accord. And how do you make that happen? How does that become a reality? Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or pride or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. These are things I'm working on practically with my kids, esteeming others better than themselves. They're constantly wanting to please themselves, make themselves happy. They want, you know, Emma wants this toy or Matthew wants this toy. And they, they want it for themselves. And when I sit down and I dissect the situation with them and I say, look, do you understand what you're doing? Who do you want to be happier, yourself or your brother or your sister? And, you know, they, they know the right answers. I'm like, do your actions portray that? And typically, no. If I'm having that conversation with them, that's probably because they're not doing something right. Esteeming others better than yourself is critical to being a successful servant within the church. Flip over to Matthew chapter 9. So we're going to look at some examples that Christ lays out very practically in the Gospels. Tonight's going to be very practical. 
At least I hope it is for you. It was for me. <clears throat> Matthew 9. Can I get a reader for 35 through 38? Noah. And Jesus went about, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of this harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And we, we're familiar with this passage. You know, we look around, the harvest, it's, it's plenteous, but the laborers are few, and we get that. But think of Jesus' perspective here. He looks around at this world, and he doesn't see, okay, what can I get? What, how can this benefit me? He looks around, and he's like, they are all wanting. They are all needful. How can I meet their needs? Guys, we need to reach these people. His heart was, they're lacking and I need to meet their needs. I need to meet their deficiencies. He was esteeming every, he esteemed this entire world the second he hopped up on that cross higher than himself. Without a doubt. And you think about the, the level of um, differentiation between Jesus Christ and us as humans. And we can't even do that on a human level a lot of times. Even at a sibling level. And Jesus Christ was able to do that. For something he didn't have to do. Esteeming others better than yourself. It's Christ's nature. It's Christ's mind. And it's critical to be an effective servant within the local church. Go over to Romans chapter 12. Always having that other's perspective first. This is something I swear the world is so good at putting our wants and even our needs in front of us so often that it's not even a bad I mean it is a bad thing it's our flesh but we don't do it in a malicious way but we're constantly thinking about ourselves even us leaders were texting about that this morning Satan's got a battle trying to get ourselves in front of us and get you guys out of our minds we have to fight that and pray about it verse 10 be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another Putting people up above yourself. Putting the preferences and the wants and the desires above yourself. And then jump down to verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live, peaceable with all, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And then look at this. Therefore, if thine enemy, so we're talking about enemies, hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now Tom used this reference in uh, conjunction with all the rioting going on, but the command is, look, you esteem your enemies above yourself. How much more should you esteem your brothers in Christ above yourself? And how often do we lack at that? And how much of a direct connection is that with our service? God calls us to esteem our enemies above ourselves. And we're going to get down a little bit further in this message on Christ's perspective of the beloved. You know, the Bible uses the term elect. Believe it or not, God, he, he does extra things for his children. He just does. He lo- we're his children. He prefers his children. Now, that's open to all, but we are his preferred. It's, it's, 
It's just how it is. It doesn't mean he chose us to be in his family. He chose all to be in his family. We all have a choice. But he, he prefers his family, and he wants us to treat the, our family the same way. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, talking about our unity. <clears throat> Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, being patient with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, it goes back to living peaceably with all men. Is this on your heart within the body of Christ? Do you have that mentality of esteeming others? We're not, and we're not even talking about the enemy's portion. That's one just to put it in perspective and sober us up a little bit. I'm just talking about within the local church. The people that are sitting around you, the people you're going to be going to church, going to church camp with, do you find it easy to esteem their wants and their desires above yourself? If that's difficult for you, you're going to be a horrible servant. You just will. Any situation that comes up, are you going to be looking, all right, how can I use this to benefit them? Or how can I use this to put their, to, to ultimately make them happy, to fulfill them? No, you're going to be looking at yourself. And I'm reminded of this every day in a marriage. How miserable is a marriage if the husband is only looking out for what makes them happy and the wife is only looking out for what makes them happy? How fulfilling is a marriage when the husband is constantly wanting to make the wife happy and the wife is constantly wanting to make the husband happy? I mean, be honest. Is it more fulfilling when somebody else does something for you rather than when you do it yourself? Every time. Every time. A dinner tastes better when my wife makes it when she had a hard day, but she still did it for me than when I make it myself. Same food, doesn't matter. It's so much more fulfilling because the love that's associated with it, the sacrifice that was associated with it. Because she esteemed me higher in that moment than she esteemed herself. She didn't have to do that, just like Christ didn't have to come down and die on the cross for our sins. But he esteemed the whole world higher than himself. And that's a perspective that's critical to being a successful servant within the local church. You have to esteem others higher than yourself. You have to. Or you're not going to serve them. You're going to constantly be serving yourself. Flip back to Philippians chapter 2. It's a couple pages over. <clears throat> and then this one I think goes without saying. To be a successful servant within the local church, you have to take on the form of a servant. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Verse 5. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What a perspective. You know, I talked about that the, the wide gap between humans and Jesus Christ, just, I mean, you have complete perfection and complete wretched humans, okay? You get that? It's like, it, it wouldn't be difficult for me to go down and, and help out in the fifth grade. There's not a huge disparity there. F follow along with me. But would it be a little weird for Pastor Tom to go down and teach in the fifth grade? He would, he would do it. I'm not saying he's above that, but it'd be a little unique, wouldn't it? You agree? Would it be weird for Donald Trump to come down and teach in the fifth grade? Yeah, we're talking a huge gap here. <laughs> be, be huge. 
But think about this on such a grander scale. Jesus Christ came from the top that you could possibly be, utter perfection, and came down to the lowest that you could be. What a gap. And sometimes we think of ourselves that, yeah, I couldn't go down to that level. I'm above that. I, I, I don't. Why should I serve them? I've done this, this, and this. They, they, they reject it. Any excuse that you could come up with, Christ could have validly used. And he chose not to. He took the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. You know, I think, you know, Christ being the, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, he's those brackets. He's done it all. He's seen it all. There is nothing that we can experience outside of those brackets. There's no situation we come into and we could say, well, this isn't fair because Christ encapsulates all of it. There's nothing we can come into and say, well, Christ, you just don't, you don't, God, you don't get it. The second he stepped onto this earth and became a human and died on the cross, he gets it. He gets it all. He was tempted in the same manner that we were. And he became, and he made himself in the form of a servant, the ultimate servant. So connecting that with esteeming others better than yourselves, you have to take on the form of a servant. Flip over to John 15. And understand, it's becoming a servant unto God first, and He will direct you. He'll work these things on your heart. He's called you to be a servant. He's chosen you to be a servant. Verse 16, Jesus talking. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Understand, the second you got saved, God chose you. God chose you to a work. He chose you to be a servant. And every second that you spend putting yourself ahead of others, every second that you spend refusing to serve people, you're not fulfilling the purpose that God has called you to called you to fulfill and your service starts within this local church again i'm i know i feel like i'm hammering this but if you're not willing to esteem the people within these walls ahead of yourselves how successful are you going to be with the lost world it's so much harder out there i mean ask anybody that's been i mean you guys you guys go to high school sort of (laughs) yeah it's kind of a weird time you guys go out in public sort of you guys interact with the lost world, it's difficult. It's why it starts within the local church, locking arms with people in here. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we struggle. And sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes we, we fight the most with the people we love the most. And it's a shame that we treat each other like that sometimes. These are your biggest allies inside this room, inside these walls. These are the people that are going to go to battle with you. It's important that we serve each other. It's important that we find a way to serve not just each other in this room, but this church as a whole. Because God has chosen you to a work. We're not going to flip there, but in Acts 9, verse 15, this is shortly after Paul interacts with Jesus Christ. And God tells Ananias, he's like, listen, I'm going to be sending Paul to you. And I've chosen him to a specific work. Because you know Paul's reputation, he was a Christian killer. He's like, I've chosen him to preach, to witness a message to the Greek and to the Jew. Receive him. And the same message is for you guys. He's chosen you for a work, to preach a message, and to serve. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
goes back to even the point with discipleship. The second you, the moment you get saved, you're called to be a disciple. It's not something that you're like, well, yeah, I'll take my next step and be, you know, I'll give discipleship a try. No, it's, it's expected. Just like being a servant, it's expected. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. This, this verse blows my mind. Paul, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. His service was not based on feeling. His servanthood to these people, that even though the more he loved them, the more he felt like they were just getting ticked off at what he was doing, he kept on doing it. Next to that verse, you can write 11.11 and 2.4. Other verses just talking about his love. But he was glad to serve them. He was glad to be spent for these people that were living in complete and utter sin. These people were very difficult to love. But Paul cared very deeply for them. And what's cool is, I mean, they're his brethren. He esteemed these people higher than himself. He, he preferred, I mean, he writes two recorded letters in the Bible to them. These guys were difficult to serve, I would imagine. The amount of sin that they were involved in. But he was happy to be spent for them. Are you happy to be spent for the people in this room? Are you happy to be spent for the children's ministry? Are you happy to be spent for VBS when we have it? Are you happy to be spent for a missions trip? Are you happy to be spent for God in any capacity? Now, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I struggle with it. It's hard. There's times where we're called to do something in the senior high ministry, and I'm like, I'm just tired. But do you know what the Bible says? You know what Paul says? I will very gladly spend and be spent. I will give anything to see you increase. I will give anything. I'll do anything to see you esteemed higher than myself. Because in that moment, my energy, my desires, my wants come second to what God has called me to do. And you see how it's all connected? Esteeming others better than yourself, it will naturally turn you into a successful servant for God. And then lastly, especially unto the house of God. Go over to Galatians chapter 6. You see, this is where Calvinism can kind of take stuff out of wicked context. God does give preferential treatment to His children. I give preferential treatment to my kids. But again, it's open to the entire world. And God calls us to do the same thing within the body of Christ. Verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know, people can read that and be like, wow, you jerks. Well, the Bible says do good unto all men. So nobody's left out. But God's like, look, if you're going to have a successful work, if you're going to have a successful church, you better especially make sure that you're doing good to those that are within the, within the local church. Think about it. I think of my family. My ministry is only as successful as my family is. My family falls apart, see ya. I'm not standing up here. It's the same thing with our mission within this church. How successful is this church going to be if there's turmoil and an explosion within the church? Not very successful. His body's not going to function too well. And God knows that. We need to do good unto all men, but especially unto people in the household of God. And I love these two examples. We're going to look at, spend some good time on them. 
But Jesus, just his heart for people of the household of God, his heart for the people that were closest to him. Flip over to John chapter 11. And again, we're keeping the perspective of serving, going out of your way, doing above and beyond what God has called you to do. John 11, we're going to start in verse 11. So again, a familiar passage. These things, verse 11, said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Albeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. It's like Stephen talking to, you know, Trevor. Dude, you're in a freaking room. He just says it plainly. <laughs> Shelf it. Verse 17. <clears throat> then when Jesus came, he found that he had, in, he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh into Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house, heartbroken, because her brother was dead, Lazarus. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that, now, that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believest in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Great question. She saith unto him, Yea, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had, when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth, calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even? This man should not have died. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And then you know the rest of the story. Lazarus, he raises him from the dead. But look at, look at Jesus's humanity, if you will, here, his emotions. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus cares deeply about us. Jesus cares deeply about those closest to him. He sees the heartache that they're going through, and you know what he does? I mean, Jesus, God, the creator of the entire universe, taking time to go comfort, not only comfort, he himself was troubled. His heart broke right there alongside with her. And he went and rose Lazarus from the dead. As a child of God, you, you get this treatment. You get this service from God. You get this especially unto the household of God. It comes directly from Jesus Christ as well. And this 
aspect. You know, Jesus going out of his way to make sure that his, his children were comforted. That same ask is of us. When people are hurting within the senior high. You know, I think of Rose when she went and got her surgery. And how a bunch of you guys rallied together and sent who knows what. Some of the stuff I was quite jealous. I was like, man, hope I get my hip broken. I want some of this stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want any of that. But that, I mean, that's it. It's, it's being right there alongside somebody. When somebody within this church body is hurting or somebody within this church body is, is going, it's, it's meeting those needs. It's empathizing with them. It's serving them in whatever capacity needed. Taking your agenda, taking your time, taking your schedule and chucking it and saying, I'm here to meet your needs. Christ did that. God did that. And sometimes we can't even do that with other humans. Again, the gap, Jesus, us. And he came down and he wept. Verses like this, man, they help me. They help me when I'm praying that I understand that, look, there's a God on the other side who has these emotions, who has these feelings, who incredibly to me, I can't even fathom or wrap my mind around it, serves me, wanted to serve me up on that cross. And I owe him the rest of my life serving him right back and serving you guys because we're called to. If we're going to have a successful service within this local church, if we're going to have a successful body, this living organism called a church, we have to serve each other. We have to do good, especially under the household of God. And flip over to John chapter 20 and we'll end. I forget who went through this passage a while, a couple weeks ago, but I never forgot the perspective of this. Verse 10, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So Jesus um, had obviously died at this point and then rose, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher waiting. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And when they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I know not where they have laid him. And when she, had th- when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. You know, this is very comforting, but also very convicting when I read this. It's comforting because, again, Jesus, in the busyness of his schedule, squeezes in time to come in and comfort Mary. While she's weeping, while she's heartbroken, he comes in and he's like, I'm okay. It's good. They didn't get my body. I'm right here. Go and tell others. And that's all she needed. But it's convicting because how did Jesus know that Mary was going through that besides the fact that he's just God? He was looking around. He was observant. He wasn't focused on himself. He wasn't looking at his circumstances. He He didn't have his eyes on what he was going through. He's looking at other people. 
And it's convicting because how often do I look at other people? Or taking it a step further, how often do I look around and I see people hurting and I'm like, I just really don't want inconvenienced right now. I just don't want to deal with it. They usually have a laundry list of stuff. I just don't want to do it. Or I just don't have time. Or I'm trying to think through these things in my mind. And we make our problems bigger than something that God can just handle with the snap of a finger. And we magnify these things that we're going through when God's calling us to meet that need right there. I mean, what an example of servanthood, especially under the house of God. Don't take this out of context. Jesus didn't do this for a lost person. Jesus didn't do this for somebody who didn't give a crap who he was. Now, he intersects their lives. Paul, I mean, what a miraculous testimony. But as far as coming down and, and communing with somebody in such an intimate way, he came down and did that under the house of God. And how often do we treat the house of God like an inconvenience or just a social club, something that we do? Verses like this, they really convict me because they show us the heart of Jesus and what he's called us to do. We're called to esteem others better than yourself. We're called to take on the form of a servant. And then we're called to take all those things and do them especially unto the household of God. And when you do those things, you will be a successful servant within this church. Whether it's in the children's ministry, whether it's through discipleship, whether it's through a missions trip, whether it's through none of those things, just being a servant within the senior high, reaching out to guests, looking around and seeing when somebody's having a hard time and genuinely saying, what's going on? Serving others. That first one is really hard to do, esteeming others better than yourself. Our flesh is strong and selfish, and it doesn't have time for other people. You need to tell your flesh to get the heck out and open your eyes on what's going on around you. Because I'm telling you, it's funny, when you start doing that, and I know Brandy could testify to this in a marriage, when you start doing that, you'll find that God starts meeting your needs in other ways that are much more fulfilling every time. So in closing, our service towards each other and within the local church is a revealing indicator of how well we are submitting to the Spirit's leading in our lives. Now that's a mouthful of words, but it's true. Your ability to serve, your ability to, to even just fellowship as a group, it's very telling on how well you're submitting to Jesus Christ and his leading. Your involvement. Because if God's doing something in your heart, you can't get away from these things. You can't help but be involved. You can't help but intersect people's lives and trying to be a vessel used of God. So how are you doing with these things? Because these things are ultimately critical for you to be a successful servant within the local church. Again, it's not a how-to on what to do within the church. It's a how-to on how to prepare yourself for whatever God calls you to do within this church. So which one do you need to work on? I know for me, it's all of them. <laughs> a lot of these, they take prayer. They take deep thought, and they take a remembrance every single day of the mission that we're called to and the purpose that God has called us to do. All right, let's pray.